Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo, and you're listening to Motivated. Whether you work out regularly or someone who really watches your diet, or maybe you've slipped off the wagon or gained back some weight that you've lost, or you just need an extra push to help you stay on track, staying motivated is key. And that's why we're here to help. Every week, we're bringing you the top health, wellness, and fitness experts, along with a lot of really amazing everyday people. And it's all about helping you live a healthier and happier life. Don't want to wait until Monday for the next episode of Motivated? You can hear it three days early on the TuneIn app. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. We're here this afternoon to talk about all things sleep. This is a topic a lot of people are interested in. I'm very interested in it. And we're here with Dan Childs, the managing editor of ABC News' medical unit. But more importantly, someone who has been awake for 50 hours consecutively. It was 50 hours straight. All right, let's start talking about that because that's what I mean. You know your stuff. We 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 work with we work together a lot on medical things, and you're always the guy that we go to to you know confirm information or check research or give us new information. But the reason I wanted to talk to you about this topic was because you have lived this in a way that's very unusual. Why were you up for fifty hours? Well, it's uh, it's one thing to read about all the studies having to do with sleep. Uh, I, I find that it's a, an entirely different thing to actually uh, give it a shot. And uh, there was, you know, we were doing the 40 for 40 GMA live stream. It gave uh, a perfect opportunity to do something, uh, something crazy like this. Uh, that would also be sort of enlightening. Uh, fortunately, uh, I was able to work with Mount Sinai. They took us into their sleep lab. Uh, I ended up staying up a total of uh, 50 hours. The first 10 hours were off cam and then a 40-hour live stream uh, on top of that. Um, so when you were in their sleep lab, what was the purpose of that? Just so that they could monitor you? Were they giving you any guidance, any assistance? What was the purpose of that? Well, uh, it was it was a dual purpose. Number one, it allowed us to do all sorts of tests. They hooked me up with electrodes. I had electrodes all over my head. Uh, and they were able to measure my brain waves uh, and to see if I entered uh, a state called a microsleep, where basically your brain kind of goes to sleep without you really knowing about it. Um, they were able to do other tests as well. The other reason that they did this, uh, and our legal and standards department was very particular about this, is that they wanted to make sure uh, that I was safe through the entire through the entire ordeal. So at any given time, there was a producer and a doctor with me, and they were able to monitor me because one of the biggest problems with acute sleep deprivation, which is what I was going through, is that you're more prone to be involved in accidents, uh, falls, uh, you know, crossing the road and getting hit by something because your attention is so drastically affected uh, by this lack of sleep. So they didn't want you walking around the world in this kind of dazed state and, and maybe getting hurt, which is so telling because people drive when they're extremely sleepy. People go to work when they're extremely sleepy because it's not really considered an impaired state. Um, the, the longest I've ever been up, up was 32 hours straight. Wow. And it was for, I was working on a story. And I remember when my head hit the pillow, it was like I fell into a black hole. Right. I fell asleep <laughs> instantly and woke up what seemed like a moment later, but was hours and hours later. So what was the experience of being up that long like for you? Were you feeling drunk? Were you feeling irritable? Were you feeling giddy? What was that like? Well, I think I cycled at one point or another through all of those things. Uh, I, but I think one of, the, one of the scariest things, and this has kind of stuck with me, uh, was the idea that for a large part of that time, uh, I, I wasn't feeling really any differently. And I was thinking about, oh, wow, yeah, I could do this. I could do that. So about how many hours in were you still feeling normal? 
Um, I was feeling normal probably up until uh, if I because uh, I had gotten up at about six o'clock uh, one morning up until about three o'clock the next day, and then something hit me like a ton of bricks. Then I got a second wind. In in the spaces in between, in those second winds, I I really and this is the big problem about acute sleep deprivation is that people don't realize how impaired they are. So how impaired were you? How do you know now in hindsight that when you were feeling fine, you really weren't fine? Well, some research suggests that staying up uh, that long can actually be equivalent to a 0.1 blood alcohol content. Um, so you're talking about over the legal limit for driving. Um, I, uh, what they were doing with me is that they were doing constant cognitive assessments. I'd have to take these little tests, and they'd figure out how quick my reaction speed was, how clearly I was thinking. And you could see as it progressed, as the project progressed, I was getting less and less able to perform well on those tests. But you felt okay. Oh, I felt great. Well, a lot of the time. I, I, about the next morning, I, I felt just horrible, just, just that that sort of... You just wanted to just be horizontal, and and you just wanted it to end. And how were you able to stay awake? Because your body is willing you to sleep. Um, It was, uh, okay, so there's that game, Just Dance. Uh, And so there was a lot of Just Dance, uh, and I am not a great dancer. Uh, My wife will be the first one to tell you that. Um, But uh, basically anything that people could think of uh, to keep me awake, we did. So in between those mental tests... Uh, I was engaged in in other things. I was doing a little bit of work. I was interacting with people via social media. Um, but what I found was that very quickly, I, I actually I actually went into this thinking that I could do my regular job. I had my laptop. I was all set up. I was like, yeah, I can write a story. I can do all this. I can do all that. Um, probably about twelve to fourteen hours in, uh, it became amazingly clear that that I was not functioning on the level that I normally would. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily know that if you were doing, say, for example, if you were, uh, if you were driving a truck, if you were flying a plane, if you were working on uh, whatever it is you're working on late into the night, you wouldn't necessarily know that uh, potentially until it's too late. So what was the worst part of it for you, the most difficult? I think it was probably towards the end. And uh, there was this sense that, okay, this, this is, we're in the home stretch now. And every minute seemed to stretch for an hour. And we were waiting to go to the studio. There was nothing really to do. Um, and it was that, was, that was one of the bad parts. The other one was when they wanted to assess microsleeps. Now, I had been awake for about 30 hours at this point. The, the technician came in, and they, there was a Murphy bed that was in the wall. They pulled that down, and they said, okay, lay down on this. Oh, so I did. That must have been torturous, but don't sleep? They said, okay, we're going to turn out the lights. Oh, my they said, God. close your eyes, but don't fall asleep. And so they turned out the lights. That's they impossible. left. And I closed my eyes, and I was doing uh, it, mental gymnastics to try and fall asleep. Uh, but that was when they measured the microsleep. And basically, it's that point at which no matter what you do, no matter how you try to tell your brain, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, it cuts out on you. And you start going, the brain waves uh, will actually reflect that your brain, certain parts of your brain are shutting off and, and essentially trying to get that sleep that you're denying it. That sounds painful. Sleep deprivation, if somebody needed secret information from me, <laughs> sleep deprivation would be the way to get it. You deprive me of sleep, I will tell you things I don't even know. Um, okay, so so then you were able to go to sleep, obviously. What, what was that like? How long did it take you to recover? How long did you sleep? Were you starving? 
Well, I went I went back home on a Thursday morning. It was about it was about ten a.m. or so. Uh, I don't really remember everything about getting home. I remember I was in an Uber, but then I went upstairs and fell promptly asleep. I was asleep for about ten hours. I woke up, uh, ate about half a chicken, and then fell asleep for another ten hours. So that first twenty four hours I was home, I was asleep for at least twenty of it. Um, that was also a weekend. Uh, I was not the most interesting person to be around. Um, <laughs> and you woke up hung- hungry. Oh, I was starving. I was absolutely ravenous. And what's really interesting is that during the experiment itself, I I like to eat healthy. I like to I actually track my macronutrients. It's, uh, it's something that I like to be able to do. Uh, while I was doing this, while I was sleep deprived, I just felt these cravings for, for just chicken parmesan sandwich and uh, – <laughs> Uh, the pizza from Traviata, which is just excellent, and uh, it was oh the um, the the peanut butter icebox pie from Magnolia, mm-hmm. just all these things that I wanted. When we were actually talking to the head of the sleep center there, um, he explained that there is some evidence that when you are sleep deprived, uh, you start to crave these 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 foods, and there has been some research done on it that basically are. Our eating habits just go out the window whenever it whenever it comes to these. Well, well, this situations. is a, this is the perfect segue because you know this is what brings your experience is really interesting. But this is what brings us back to kind of why why does everybody care? Why should everybody care about sleep? And what you're describing um, that you experience, you're craving all this kind of fatty, carby, comforty food while you were sleep deprived. That has been my experience in life as well. On the days where I don't get a lot of sleep, that's when I really want junk food. I'm not sure if it's because I'm seeking comfort from an uncomfortable state and or I'm seeking energy through carbs and sugar, which your body knows is the you know easiest way to get a quick boost. What do we know about the relationship between sleep and what you eat? Well, what you mentioned is really important. Uh, our psychology and our physiology when it comes to sleep deprivation, they're so closely intertwined that sometimes it's very hard to tease apart okay, am I doing this because of a psychological reason or a physiological reason? What we do know from the research is that when you are sleep-deprived, it actually messes with your hormone levels. Uh, Two particularly important hormones when it comes to appetite regulation, leptin and ghrelin, those levels get disturbed. And so we know that there's some sort of disruption that occurs, and they're looking further into this. But certainly— Well, well, tell me about those two, because what do those two hormones regulate? Um, basically, it's uh, they're they're regulating your appetite, and um, when you're uh, when you're looking at, for example, uh, leptin, that that's a hormone that tends to be uh, linked to decreased likelihood to to feed. So um, if you're if you're messing with that, then you might be removing one of the inhibitions uh, that you have when it comes to taking in these calories. Um, So you can see how basically if those levels get disturbed, you can often enter a situation where you're not making the same choices as you normally would. Your appetite isn't isn't the same as it normally would be. And uh, then you start to make these uh, and that's that's probably where the psychology comes into effect as well, because you're going to be in a situation that's so unusual that uh, you might be uh, more inclined to give in to those impulses. And also, I feel like your willpower is weaker. You know, we all kind of become toddlers when we're really sleepy. And it's like, I don't feel like eating the salad. I don't want to eat my vegetables. And you just, you, you, you cave and you go for... 
the stuff that you're really fighting against on a day-to-day basis anyway. Right, yeah. And you you actually see a lot of studies as well that um, do link, they do link sleep deprivation with an increased risk of obesity. Uh, now, this could be for any number of reasons. So it, we know there's a, there's a link, but we don't know if it's causing obesity or if there's some other relationship. Right. Uh, and there are probably a lot of things at play. Obviously, if you're awake for longer, you have more hours in you're which to more. eat. I mean, you have to do something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that fridge is just so close by. Right. Um, but uh, there could be other things at play as well. It could have something to do with the hormone imbalances. It could have something to do with that uh, sort of uh, reduced uh, reduced willpower, that, that sort of uh, situ- uh, that, that interesting situation that sleep deprivation provides. So researchers are actually looking into all of this because it's such a big problem now uh, in today's society. Now, what about in terms of our energy? You know, because I, I found I've worked in overnight shift for years, as, as almost everyone in news has. <clears throat> and I would work out when I got off work in the morning. And I had terrible workouts. They were so bad that I was worried I was going to hurt myself. So how important is getting enough sleep to supporting an exercise routine. Right. Well, the evidence here so far is pretty mixed. Uh, But what they have found in some studies that they've done on this is that sleep deprivation, if you hit a certain point, it does tend to have an effect on your your how much effort you're able to exert, your maximal capacity. Um, So you could start to see that your uh, that your uh, endurance is negatively affected by sleep deprivation. They're, they're still looking into this, but definitely they feel that there's, there's some impact that it has on the autonomic nervous system that makes, makes it harder for you to actually exercise or exert physical activity in the same way that you normally would. Now, I understand you know, from, from your point of view and from the medical community's point of view how important it is to have studies to support these observations that people have. But for me, they're just, in my personal experience, There's been no question that when I'm getting enough sleep, I'm eating less, I'm making better food choices, I'm working out more efficiently, and I'm getting a better workout. You know, I I have found that for me, you can't separate sleep from a healthy lifestyle. Right. In, In terms of getting enough sleep. I feel like there's this badge of honor that a lot of people carry when they don't sleep a lot. They kind of brag about it. Like, oh, I, I live on four hours of sleep a day. I live on five hours of sleep a day. Conversely, you tell someone you get nine hours of sleep a day, they think that you're lazy. They're like, gosh, who's taking care of your children? Who's you know taking care of your house? Who's working? So are we getting enough sleep as as a society? How much do we need and how do you know how much you need? Well, uh, in general, guidelines suggest people get between seven and eight hours a night. Now, we know. We that sounds know. like a lot. I didn't know anybody <laughs> getting eight hours of sleep a night. Like maybe on vacation. I mean, right. there's there's no one uh, where there's very few people who are actually getting this. And uh, in fact, there was a report from the CDC that suggested that about 30 percent of Americans get six or fewer average six or fewer hours per night of sleep. Um, and that's a huge problem. That's like one in three people right. who's, who is essentially living with chronic sleep deprivation, which is different from acute sleep deprivation. So, you know, acute being <laughs> I might stay up a really long day today, but for the most part, I'm getting enough sleep. Chronic right. being every night I'm not getting enough sleep. Exactly. How do they affect you differently? Well, acute sleep deprivation, you'll be dealing with those uh, a higher likelihood of having those little accidents or making those little mistakes, uh, your attention span will be narrowed. Uh, this is 
the situation where uh, a lot of people, for example, they'll get behind the wheel and drive and, and nod off at the wheel. You see a lot of that with acute sleep deprivation. Chronic sleep deprivation, when, when it keeps happening, when, you're, when, you're, when you constantly limit the amount of sleep that you get, that's linked to all kinds of ills, uh, diabetes, uh, I think even certain cancers, they've, they've linked to that um, risk of early death. Now, it's very hard to necessarily tease apart, uh, okay, is it just the, the chronic sleep deprivation that's leading to this, or is there something else involved? Uh, because we also know that those people who tend to chronically deprive themselves of sleep, they might be doing other things that harm their health as well. But just the idea that these links exist, that these relationships exist, that has been kind of the clarion call to a lot of researchers in the field to say, hey, we need to take a closer look at this, and we need to see what kind of damage people are doing to themselves by never getting enough sleep. So how do you know how much sleep you really need? I feel like I know how much sleep I need because I kind of have tested it. You know, I'll, I'll play with it. And I know when I feel rested and good and not sleepy during the day. But that's me. It's, it's very individualized. How, you know, someone listening, how, how should they figure out how much sleep they really need optimally? It would be a situation where you would actually be able to tell, just like you did, how you're able to function and what kind of little mistakes you're making uh, if you happen to be sleep-deprived. Obviously, it's a very individualized thing, and, and certain people might be able to uh, get away with certain amounts of sleep. What's also interesting is that people don't necessarily know uh, what the quality of their sleep is or how much sleep they're actually getting. There's a big difference between getting to bed at a certain time and falling asleep at a certain time. Um, you know, when we look at what quality sleep means, there, there are many different stages of sleep, from your REM sleep to your deep sleep, and we cycle through those all in a night. It seems to be very important that we actually get this, and this is a non-fragmented period of sleep that we get every night to be able to deliver the benefits of sleep that help us get through the next day. So like the kind of sleep where you're really stressed about something and wearing and you're tossing and turning and waking up every two minutes looking at the clock, that, that's not as valuable as a peaceful night's sleep. Right. You're, you're really not going to be able to wake up refreshed. Your body isn't going to be able to get the benefits that it's supposed to get from that sleep. Uh, and that could essentially lead to, uh, lead to some real problems. I asked a sleep researcher once, how do I know if I'm getting enough sleep? And he said, do you feel sleepy during the day? He said, when, when, you, when you would sit in a dark room and not fall asleep, you know you got enough sleep the night before because you're not supposed to be falling asleep during the day. I'm so used to always you know, being ready to just nod off. Um, now, speaking of nodding off, naps. So if you're not getting enough sleep at night, can naps help bridge the gap, or does it have to be continuous sleep? Well, this brings up the whole concept of sleep debt. Uh, if you think about your sleep, your total sleep like a ledger, and are you actually able to average, say, over a given week, somewhere around that seven hours of sleep that you need, um, <clears throat> naps can, it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky area because naps can potentially contribute to uh, the amount of sleep that you get. However, they can also lead to what's known as fragmented sleep. The idea that if you nap a little bit now, maybe you won't sleep quite as long that night and it really kind of throws you a little bit. You're not going to be able to have that natural circadian rhythm that you're used to. It's almost a jet laggy type of effect that you'll get. So it might not be as restorative uh, as what you would normally but be seeing. But there's that sweet spot. Like sometimes you have that nap that you're describing where you wake up and you're groggy and it's just like you would have been better off having stayed awake. And then sometimes you wake up from a nap and you're, you know, you're ready to take on the world. It, it was the, exactly the medicine that you needed. So it, how do you get the right kind of nap? 
that it almost seems to be hit or miss. And again, it's a very individualized sort of thing. Uh, but I think the main thing about naps that's that's important to remember is that you want to you want to make sure that you're not using them as a crutch, that you're not using them to absolutely rely on making up your sleep debt, because it's never going to work, even if you plan it out. You're not necessarily, well, you know, what's seven times seven? So set, let's say 49 hours of sleep. You're supposed to get 49 hours of sleep in a week. Um, if your strategy is to, okay, well, I'll cut myself short at night, then I'll take a nap, the chances that you're going to be able to fill in that sleep debt are very, very slim. And, and what about on the weekend? Can you, bin- can you binge sleep on the weekend? You know, sleep a 10-hour night, have a nap. And, and make up for it there? You know, that's exactly what we were talking with uh, the, the head of the Mount Sinai Sleep Clinic about. Uh, can you actually make up that sleep debt? In theory, in theory it is possible, but in practice, very, very few of us, say, for example, if we missed out on just one hour of sleep every night, that's an extra seven hours that we would need to somehow cram into the weekend. It's very unlikely that we're going to be doing that. We're going to be out partying. We're going right. to be <laughs> celebrating and, and watching a movie and uh, you know, trying to stay awake through that. Um, it's the, the easier way to do it is somehow build in your schedule or build in the discipline to be able to, to get as much sleep every night so you minimize that sleep debt and you're able to give your body what it needs. Um, and in terms of, you know, building it in, that, that discipline, you know, I found that that was, I mean, you know my story, I, I lost a lot of weight, and I found that that was part of getting enough sleep was the same kind of discipline that I needed to apply um, as I did for going to the gym, for buying groceries, for cooking healthy meals, because it made such a huge difference in everything else. Sleep was kind of the glue for me that held it all together. When I wasn't getting enough sleep, everything else fell apart a little bit. People have a lot of trouble getting to sleep at night. They want to finish the laundry. They want to watch a movie. You know, you've been working hard all day. You just want to sit on the couch for a few hours. You want to catch up on Facebook and emails. Can, can you help us prioritize this a little bit? <laughs> See, and I think that's the key word. It's prioritize. And, and traditionally, traditionally, we've never prioritized sleep, especially in the, in the culture and the lifestyles that we lead. Uh, the vast majority of us, it's, we don't prioritize, prioritize sleep as a health-related thing as much as we do, oh, got to exercise, got to eat right. You hear a lot about exercising and eating right. You don't hear a bunch about sleep until lately where people are pointing to this and they say, okay, yeah, this is kind of, this is kind of the, the third leg on the stool here, and you need to be able to do that. And, and the, I think it's you know, the, the approach is right to be able to essentially put that on par uh, with those other things. But it does take discipline because there are so many things to do, and there's so many excuses not to sleep. Game of Thrones. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, there, you, there's always laundry to do. Well, there's always FOMO. Something to I feel like FOMO exactly. is the number one thing that keeps people awake. It's like, I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss that. The world is still spinning, and I don't want to go to bed. Right. And you're going to be missing out uh, when you sleep, which is actually one of the big, the big sort of funny things about the mystery of sleep in general. If you think about it, if you think about it, the very idea that we have to sleep, 
Um, if you think about our caveman ancestors, it puts us at risk. Well, from an evolutionary perspective, it seems very risky. Yeah. Isn't that an easy time for predators to <laughs> It's an easy time for predators to pounce on you. Uh, food could walk by. You could be depriving yourself of that missed opportunity. So um, researchers for a very long time have been trying to figure out, okay, why is it exactly that we do need well, sleep why anyway? Do, we? do you know the answer to that? Um, they're, they're looking into it right now. And it's an interesting. This past week, in fact, uh, there was this group, uh, this group of researchers researchers that actually got the Nobel Prize for their research on circadian rhythms and and what they all mean. But there have been some other advances here as well. The current theory is that when you sleep, uh, it's actually an opportunity for your brain to clear itself of the waste that build up during all the metabolism that needs to happen up there while you're going through your day-to-day activities. And the idea that it lets all that it lets all that go, drain out through the lymphatic system, and then you're going to be okay. Are you okay. talking about like literal waste, like chemicals and, you know, like, or are you talking about like the thoughts that we don't need and the information that we don't need? Oh, this would just be the byproducts of the metabolism of, uh, of the brain. There's other things that are happening in terms of memory consolidation, in terms of all of those uh, processes, those neural processes that happen in the brain, and those are happening at the same time. And these also remain largely mysterious, um, but it's... It's interesting to think about. And in fact, there was also some recent research that showed that this is something that goes way, way back evolutionarily. There was this group of grad students who were uh, essentially keeping jellyfish awake. Jellyfish don't even have brains as we think about brains, but even they needed their sleep. Um, So the idea that everything sleeps uh, sort of points uh, points to the importance of us getting our seven or eight hours. And you mentioned the circadian rhythms, the the um, prize that, that was just awarded. And in, in terms of like that would apply to whether you're a night person or a day person, right? Is that part of the circadian rhythm That's part of it. Arena? The, the whole body clock uh, sort of thing and how that relates to our health. Uh, this has to do with shift work. It has to do with jet lag. These are things. These are instances of where, where we routinely find people are depli- deprived of sleep. And so researchers are looking at this, and they find that there are actually health implications of all of these types of activities. So if you – and I've, I feel like that that's a, it's a real thing whether you're a morning person or a night person. Like some people want – me, I want to be up until 4 in the morning, um, and other people want to be in bed at 9. Can you change that? If you're a night person, can you make – can you train yourself to become a morning person and vice versa? Uh, technically, I think that has a lot to do with the scheduling. I mean, it, it'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting if they actually set that experiment up and ha- tried to get people to to switch over. Um, but uh, but we know, say, for example, when you jump on a plane and you go halfway around the world, you do readjust to whatever that new normal is. Now, it might take you a few days. It might take you a few days to get completely over. But we know that it can sort of reset and adjust. The big question is, as you're resetting, as you're adjusting, what kind of effect does that have if it happens over and over and over again? Are we stressing something in the body that could have big implications later on? And when it comes to the quality of the sleep that you're getting, um, because we talked about how important that is, are are there any agreed upon strategies for getting the best quality sleep? You know, I've heard keep your electronics out of the room. I've heard there's an optimal temperature 
for sleeping? What do we know about getting the best sleep? Well, those are actually both great suggestions. Uh, there's there's a whole sort of area so uh, of of these suggestions that's known as sleep hygiene. And you're going to hear a lot of people sleep talking hygiene. about sleep hygiene. Yes, <laughs> it sounds and like such a buzzy wellness word. <laughs> it does. It does. And it, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It sounds more complex than it actually is. But a lot of the things are common sense. Don't. Don't uh, they? They say that your bed is only supposed to be used for two things, and one of those is sleep. Hmm, the, the, what might the other be? <laughs> well, it's not watching television. Right. It's not checking your iPhone, <laughs> and it's not eating ice cream with your kids. Uh, no, no, not supposed to be. Uh, so you should actually keep that space sort of sacred, uh, mostly for sleep. Um, also, they they say that the optimal sleeping temperature is usually a couple of degrees uh, cooler than you normally would have it. Uh, that's supposed to be able to help. Uh, you're supposed to minimize distractions. Um, all of these things can can really help you get more restorative sleep, and that's what that's the big message I think that that um, public health experts are trying to press when it comes to sleep. If you're going to get your sleep, if you're going to take the trouble to plan out your sleep, make sure that the conditions are right for you to actually go to sleep and stay asleep for the amount of time that you need to to get through all those cycles of sleep. All right, so I feel like the takeaway here is, and you're the expert, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that sleep is really important for your health and that you, you have to put a little discipline into getting enough and getting good sleep, just like you put discipline into other parts of your life. Absolutely. It's, it's not something that we think of prioritizing, perhaps because it has so often been associated with, oh, yeah, that person's lazy. They're taking, you know, they, they need to get their sleep or whatever. It's not, it's not lazy. It's not lazy to prioritize sleep. It's not lazy to make sure that uh, you're functioning at the peak of your ability because your body's well rested and you're able to take advantage of all of your uh, all of your faculties when it comes to attention. Uh, and uh, you know, this is this is uh, I'm I'm a little bit hypocritical talking about this right now because I know that none of us none of us prioritize it the way that we should. But it's definitely something to think about for overall health. But I think owning the fact that it's good for us. You're not lazy for sleeping the amount that you need, which is such a crazy concept to me. That's like saying I, I breathe too much air. <laughs> you know, I drink too much water. Like if your body needs it, you should take it. Right. So I'm, I'm proud. I'm unapologetic about being a, a long sleeper and a napper. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Dan Child, thank you for your time this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mara. Staying motivated is a 24-7 job. Let's keep this conversation going. Send us your questions by using the hashtag motivated or tweet me at MaraCamp. Help spread the motivation by taking a moment to give us a quick review. Just click the link in the description of this episode. New episodes post Monday mornings. And don't forget, you can listen to motivated episodes three days early on the TuneIn app. New episodes will post on Fridays. Download TuneIn today and listen for free. Motivated is a production of ABC News. Thanks for listening. I'm Mara Scavalcampo.